Well, good morning, everybody. I, I was saying in the first service that uh, Pastor Chad has the has the patience of Job. Um, uh, I, I wrote this talk to give it a month ago, um, but then <clears throat> I got a man cold, and um, my wife got a normal cold, but I got a man cold, and um, a five-week man cold. Can you believe that? Like, you should feel so sorry for me right now, like... And, um, but now I'm better, so thank you for that. Um, and so um, let me ask you a question. If, um, if you could influence, if you had the power and the opportunity to impact 100 million people, um, what would the central message of your campaign be? If you could impact 100 million people, what would the big idea be? What would you say to them to leave them better than you find them? What would you say? What would you give them to say, you know, plug this into your life, and I promise you, uh, your life will be better than if you don't? It's a, it's a great question to ask. Because, you know, some of us would say, you know, what, you know be kind to each other. Oh, yeah, okay, that's good. Love each other. Um, be kind to yourself. Love yourself. Jesus walked the earth for three years, uh, for 33 years. His ministry took place over a three-year period. Now, that's mind-blowing when you think about it. Because at the end of three years, the entire world began to change. Hundreds of millions of people's lives throughout history have been absolutely turned right side up because of three years of his time caring for and ministering to people. And I was thinking about it, and I think, what have I done for the last three years since, since 2019 that has changed the whole world? What have I done that's changed my neighborhood? And I came up with blanks. That's, you know, I mean, I think about it. How can one life have so much impact? And the central message to Christ's campaign, to his ministry, was about God's love for us and God's forgiveness for us. And tightly connected to that message is a secondary message, but it's, it's so close that it could be part of the, the, the primary message is to love one another. And then he said this, to forgive one another. To forgive one another. You see, the, the, the health of your soul informs the health of your body. A lot of sickness in our physical bodies starts inside of us, in our thinking, in our believing, in our emotional lives. But your relational health is the thing that informs your soul health, which is the thing that informs your physical health. It's really quite something. Jesus talks about the, 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 the destructiveness of a um, relational discord. When he said this, he said, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, he goes, just, just you know, leave it there. And go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer 
your gift. See, as a member of the human race, I promise you this, that you're going to get your feelings hurt, okay? And on the other hand, you are going to hurt somebody else's feelings. That's going to happen, okay? You can't walk on this earth and not experience what it's like to be insulted, rejected, taken advantage of. You, 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 just, you just can't. We're, we've all had varying levels of soul trauma and personal insult from others. We've all been there. There's nobody in the room that doesn't know what that feels like. And there are a few responses to when that happens. There's a few things that you can do. One, one, one that you can do, we're pretty good at this one. You can just totally hate the person that hurts you. Just hate them. If you want to do that, you can do that. Um, you can hurt them back. Or you can forgive them. The thing about hurting somebody back, while in the moment it feels wonderful, in the moment it scratches an itch so well, but in the big picture, it actually chains you. It shackles you to that moment, to that offense, and to that person. When unforgiveness goes unchecked, it is, it is a cancer in our souls. And think about this. Cancer never stays where it starts. Cancer can start anywhere in your body, and it will move. It will begin to affect all kinds of parts of your body, maybe all your organs eventually. And so it is with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness never stays where it starts. It may start with that person and that relationship, but that begins to spread and it begins to shift you and change you. It begins to shift your, your worldview, your thought of, are people safe or are they not? It spreads to other relationships in your life. It distorts your view of people and of the world. And cancer has this way of eating up all the positive cells in your body. And in the same way, unforgiveness eats up your joy. It, 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 it changes your personality. It eats up your, your freedom. It eats up your spirituality. It eats it all up. William Walton said, to carry a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee. And when people dwell with bitterness and in anger too long, uh, it has a way of eating away at your spiritual life. It steals your peace. It, it, it begins to affect your health. And when we live with unforgiveness, this is a, this is a great statement. When we live with unforgiveness of things, of people that have hurt us, you give your power to your history at the expense of your destiny. You give your power to what happened yesterday or two weeks ago or last year. You give your power to your history at the expense of your destiny. And if you spend all of your energy fuming about the past, you don't have as much energy as you need to fulfill your, your dreams for tomorrow. And when you begin to ruminate and rehearse the conversation, and when you rehearse the conversation, you're not just rehearsing the conversation because you can still see the person's eyes 
the anger in their face, the malice that was written all over them, and you rehearse all of it, and you do it again and again. And you know what you're doing when you do that? You're giving power to that story. You're literally giving power to it. And so, at the end of the day, unforgiveness is hard. It just costs too much. And there's a cure for this. Soul cancer. It's one of the most beautiful words in any language, and it's the word forgive. It's why Jesus called us to forgive one another. Forgiveness breaks the umbilical cord that holds you to that traumatic event, that holds you to those harsh words, that holds you to that insult. Forgiveness breaks that umbilical cord. It doesn't change the past. It doesn't change the fact that it happened. It just enlarges your future in a really beautiful way. One of the things that you do when you forgive is that you give up the hope that your past can be different. And you begin to, you stop giving emotional energy to, to, to the question that, you know, what if, if only, I wish that, that shouldn't have, they could have. And you just go, it is what it is, it was what it was, I'm not even going to try to change it. Um, there is such a hunger in the human heart um, for forgiveness, to be forgiven and to forgive. In one of his stories, Ernest Hemingway talks about uh, an adult son and a, uh, who, who insults his father, who, who hurts his father. And then the son runs away to Madrid, to the city of Madrid. And after some time, the, the father's heart is breaking and longing for a son. And so he takes an ad out in the Madrid newspaper. And the, and, and the ad, it simply says this. It says, Dear Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at Hotel Montana on Tuesday at noon. Now, in Spain, Paco is a very, very, very common name. And when the father shows up at Hotel Montana on Tuesday at noon, there are over 800 men who read the article and hoped it was their dad who wrote it and hoped it was their dad that was extending forgiveness. We have this longing to forgive and to be forgiven. If that's true, then why is it so hard to forgive? Why is it so difficult? Peter came to Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 18. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, and he said, not seven, but uh, 77 times. See, the rabbinic teaching of the, of the day was that you could, if you were offended by somebody, you, you only had to forgive them three times. But in so many ways, it, it, that's saying like you forgive them three times and then you open yourself to soul cancer. And so Jesus comes along and says 70 times 7. And one, one, one uh, reading of the gospel, it's like 70 times 7, which it means, simply means this, that, that, that you, you know what? Um, 
he's not asking you to do something that's prudent and practical. He's asking you to, to do something that a child of God can do when the love of God and the forgiveness of God informs your heart. And when you remember how much you've been forgiven, uh, it inspires you to forgive. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the work of the Holy Spirit is to shift our nature, to shift what's going on inside of us, to align with how the Father loves, how the Father forgives, how the Father moves according to the kingdom of God and the heart of God. And so we open ourselves to that work of the Holy Spirit, and we allow him to shift us and to change us. The nature of God is seen really well through the story in Matthew 18, where there's a king, and he has a servant. He has many servants, but he loans one servant a lot of money and then decides at some point in time to call in the loan. And he, 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 he calls out to the servant who's run up an incredible tab, 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to $12 million. But get this, in the first century, it's equivalent to 150,000 years of a normal man's salary. And I guess the point is it's impossible to pay it all back. And so the, 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 the king says, we're going to have you put in prison. No, we're going to have you sold on the auction block. We're going to have your wife sold. We're going to have your children sold. And we're going to have your estate sold. If, just so I can get back a little bit of my investment. And in verse 26, it says, the servant begged for mercy. He, he pleaded with the king. He begged him for just a little more time. Just a little more time. And then the king does something that is absolutely incredible. The king doesn't give him more time. He doesn't cut him a little slack. The king forgives the entire debt. He wipes it out completely. And the man is now free, and his wife is free, and his kids are free, and his estate is still his estate, and it is debt free. The king forgives him such an amazing debt. And you know, when you, uh, somebody lets you in in traffic, hopefully that kindness inspires you to let others in when they're trying to get into traffic. But the Bible says in verse 28, when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servant who owed him a buck 80. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. This man fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. Be patient. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. Had the man arrested and put in jail until he could pay his debt in full. Interesting thing about our lives, there's always someone, always someone watching. Always. And in this story, there were other servants that were watching. And they told the king exactly what had happened. And the king calls the servant in, the wicked servant in. And his pity turns to anger. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until 
He paid every penny. And then Jesus says this, and that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. See, this is a parable about, about, uh, about,